I trust you have your Bibles with you. Turn to Jonah chapter 3, please, if you will. So far, Jonah's life hasn't been uh, going very well. Uh, Since we've been introduced to him, we've discovered that he's going AWOL. And in trying to run away from the presence of God, things haven't been going very well for him. Uh, We would not certainly want to change places with Jonah. First, he tried to run away from God, but he couldn't do that. Everywhere he went, God was there. Tried to sleep off a storm, but he couldn't. He tried to even die by drowning, but he couldn't succeed at that. Now standing again on dry ground, he is faced with a choice. Will he try to run away again? Will he decide to obey God's call on his life? He's a man with a second chance. What would you do with a second chance? Can I say to you this morning that many people across America are AWOL. Many professing Christians in Illinois are AWOL. Many Christians who call central Illinois their home are AWOL. Some Christians who call Pekin home and who attend First Baptist Church are AWOL, trying to run away on God. But you are, you are learning that you cannot succeed, that you can't get out of the presence of God. And if it seems right now as if things aren't too bad, trust me, they're going to get worse. If you continue to try to run away on God, he's going to chase you down. Let's bow for a word of prayer before we look into the message this morning, the text that is in front of us. God, our Father, it's way past time to pray for Jonah. His day is over, but his story is with us. But it is time for us to pray for each other that we will stop to consider, am I AWOL? And what it is you're trying to say to us. May we learn like Jonah that the value of obedience is greater than anything else that we have to offer in this situation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you know that God doesn't give up on you? You can be like Jonah and try as hard as you want to go someplace where you don't think he is, but God doesn't give up on you. As certainly as you arrive at that place where you think nobody cares about God, nobody cares about anything that God would have to say, you find yourself in that situation about to begin to enjoy, so you think, all of the things that you can get yourself involved in, and bam, there it is. Someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who knows something about you, who confronts you and says, what are you doing here? This isn't where you belong. Aren't you supposed to be doing X and Y for God? And you say, good night. There's no place I can go that I can get away from God. And you're right. You see, because God doesn't give up on you.
You need to understand that. You need to underscore that in your heart this morning. You need to realize that as hard as you are trying, in whatever direction you are trying to go, God doesn't give up on you. But there's a but in the sentence that we need to follow up with. And when we use a but in a sentence, that means that there's something more, and the something more generally gives us some kind of condition or direction that we need to hear. God doesn't give up on you, but he expects you to obey him. So I want you to notice in verses 1 through 4 what happens. God gave Jonah the commission again, a second time. He called him again, a second time. Now, if you're like me, you would probably say, so we can expect that God decided that Nineveh wasn't the place that Jonah should go. If Jonah didn't want to go there, then maybe God should give him a place that he would like to go. Maybe Las Vegas. Or New York. But if God's call is to Nineveh, do you know what? When he gives you a second chance, it will be to Nineveh again. Think about this for a moment. You'll recall several weeks ago, I was talking to you about what Nineveh was like, talking to you about uh, what was happening in Nineveh. Jonah knew that when he arrived at the gate of the city, that what was going to happen, he was going to see that pile of human heads that had been removed from the corpses of people who had been killed by this very, very violent society and had been placed there at the entrance to the city to remind everybody that came in that the king of this city was in control of everything. In fact, many of the heads that were in that pile were heads of people that Jonah knew were from his own country. Why would you ever want to go to that kind of city? You wouldn't want your head to be the next one in that pile. And in fact, it very easily could have been. He knew that when he got inside that city, he would see a lot of people that had been taken from his own homeland. They would have ragged and jagged scars in their jaw from the flesh hook that had been placed there when they were back in Israel as they were drugged by the people of Nineveh into captivity. That would not be a pleasant sight to see. Even though his jaws were certainly still very fine, it would be a poignant reminder of the fact that they were in subservience. That's where God was calling Jonah to go. Who would want a first chance, much less a second chance, to go to a place like that? This is what had driven him to distraction and caused him to go to Joppa and decide to pay the fare to get on a boat to go to Tarshish, to get from the presence of the Lord. And Yet now, after being on that ship, in a storm, thrown overboard, in the belly of a great fish, puked up on the dry land, Jonah hears the first voice, and it's from God, and he says, Jonah, I got a job for you to do. Oh, yes, Lord, what's that job? Well, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach a message of judgment against that great city. Now, I'd have been bargaining with God. I'd have been negotiating. 
I'd have been saying, you know, there are some other places that are pretty difficult in life. I'll go to India as a missionary. Just don't send me to Nineveh. I'll go to the south side of Peoria and work in the projects. But don't send me to Nineveh. But he was called by God to go to Nineveh. He was called by God to preach a specific message. And the message that he was to preach was a message that was a message against it. A message of judgment. Each of us who are in this room today, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, need to recognize that we too are called with a message. It's a message of hope. It's a message that's good news. But we need to realize that if people don't heed it, it's a message of judgment. Do you remember hearing this way back at the beginning of the summer when I first came here? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. Or how about this one? And Jesus said to them, the disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, Mark 16 and verse 15. And then this very familiar one, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. But in fear we find ourselves sitting on our blessed assurance day by day and week by week, saying, let someone else do it. And we are missing our second chance. I don't want my second chance. But we need to follow. Look, if you will, please, in verses 3 and 4, and you'll discover that Jonah accepted this commission, this call, to go to the city of Nineveh. Jonah has figured out that it's a whole lot better to go and face the challenges of maybe losing his life for declaring God's message than it is to suffer at the discipline of God. And so he invested in God's commission in verse 3. It says, Jonah arose. He got off his blessed assurance. He wasn't sitting any longer in church every weekend, listening to the good preaching, telling the preacher that he, he's a good preacher and we enjoy it, but doing nothing. I'm not sure whether that's what you do or not. If it is, then change that. But then I want you to notice he invested not only in God's commission, he invested in a great city. Verse 3 tells us that Nineveh, as it was described before, was a great city, but this piece is added to it, three days' journey in breadth. It was going to take him more than three days to get there, but when he got there, it would take him three days to walk through the city of Nineveh, declaring the message. We are told from archaeological digs and so on, that the city of Nineveh was a walled city, that it was probably 60 miles in circumference. They judged that it had a population of probably 600,000 people. And when Jonah arrived, it took him three days to get through the city. Now verse 4 tells us that he invested in declaring God's message. 
It says Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That little expression called out is very important for us to understand. doesn't say that Jonah arrived at the gate, saw a few little children playing on the curbside, and walked up to them and said, Kitties, did you know that in 40 days God's going to judge your great city? And then he walked by masses of people. Oh my, these are scary people to find a few more people that, oh, they're elderly and don't look like they could be of much challenge to him and saying, whispering almost, folks, did you know that unless you repent in 40 days, God is going to bring judgment upon you? What the text says is he called out and the idea in that is he cried with a loud voice. Now they didn't have means of, uh, of projecting the voice like we've got here in terms of the, in terms of the uh, system that makes it so that everybody in here can hear, and thankfully to our good sister who interprets, for them to hear as well. But the crying out of the message is what is important. Hmm. I go to church every weekend because it's my duty. I like the music. I like my friends. Forget that guy that stands up there and talks to us every week. The message needs to be cried out. And Jonah gets there and he begins to take seriously the responsibility of declaring the message of God. And you'll notice that he is to do it for this period of time that is a period of opportunity to repent. And he's crying out, yet 40 days. And Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Now, the number 40 in the Bible is a very interesting and important number. 40 is usually associated in some way with judgment or with negative results. For instance, the Bible uses 40 in terms of the great flood. You remember? It says that Noah and his family and the animals were on the ark and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The children of Israel came out of bondage in Egypt, and when they refused to go into the promised land, God pronounced judgment upon them, and he told them that they were going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And all of them were going to die in the wilderness, save for Caleb and Joshua, because they disobeyed God. Before Jesus began his public ministry, you'll recall that it records in the Gospels that the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for how long? Forty days. And then he was tempted by the evil one. The point is this. God gives an opportunity to us for a second chance to be able to declare to those who need to hear so that they have a period of time in which they can repent, but judgment is coming. Listen to me. Judgment is coming. You say, not to America. We're a Christian nation. Only in our dreams, folks. We may have had fairly firm foundations, but we have chosen 
to drift far from it, to run far from it, to flee from God, to try to get from his presence. And a message of judgment, which is connected with a message of good news in Jesus Christ, needs to be declared across this nation, in this state, in this town, in this church. And the message is this, unless there is repentance, unless there is turning from sin and turning to God, God is going to, the word that is used there, overthrow them. He's going to turn them upside down. And there would be nothing left of them. Is God giving you a second chance right now? Is the word that is coming from my lips this morning driving into your heart a place where the Spirit of God is bringing conviction, reminding you that once upon a time, things were far closer between you and God, but you've been getting away from God. You may not have taken a great fish ride yet, but you know that you need to come back, that you're AWOL. Friend, come back. Don't go AWOL. Don't stay AWOL. All that does is invites God's further discipline in your life. So come back. Now there's a second major thing that I want us to see this morning quickly. Sometime, as you're thinking about this, you think, what difference does it make? But I want to say to you, something significant happens when you obey God. Something significant happens when you obey God. Oh yeah, it's going to happen over in California. Sure, it'll happen down in Florida. Might even happen in New England, although that's a God-forsaken place. No, something is going to happen here when you obey God. So Jonah finds himself inside the city of Nineveh. He is declaring the message. He's declaring it quite with a a voice well enough to be heard. And verse number 5 tells us that the people of Nineveh listened to Jonah's message and they repented. Repentance. Oh, we don't want that message anymore. In fact, I have been told numerous times as a preacher, you know, you, you, you can't preach that kind of message today. People in America don't want to hear a message of repentance. Here's the way it's said to me now. Millennials won't put up with it. But I'm going to tell you that no other message will stem the tide of the wickedness we see, the waywardness we walk, and the folly that is upon us. If we refuse to preach repentance, we might as well shut up. Terry, I might as well close my Bible and go home. Oh, but you're going to tell people their lives have got to change? Absolutely. Why? Because it's the only place where peace and joy can come. The turmoil of our lives is all around us. How many people ended up being shot this weekend and killed in Chicago? Or in Milwaukee, from where I come? It's only because there's turmoil. You say it didn't happen in Pekin. Can I say to you, not yet. And I hope no time soon. 
But when there is turmoil, when there is waywardness, when there is wickedness, there needs to be a message of repentance. But that's too hard. But good news can only come when we have fallen on our faces before God. But I want you to note, they didn't just hear. The people of Nineveh believed. They didn't just believe what Jonah said, the preacher, but the text tells us they believed God. So that's the first sign of repentance, believing God. The second sign of repentance that I discover in the text is this. They lived out their repentance. You say to me, I've repented. Then it shows in your life. It shows in your obedience. It shows in your choices. And that's exactly what happens here. Uh, The way the text is put together, it talks about the people hearing and the people responding and They fast and put on sackcloth and they are in great despair over what has happened in their lives. You say, oh, so they just did religious things. I don't think so. This fasting is, they gave up food so that they could focus on God. We know pretty much that America isn't fasting these days. You walk down any street in any city in America and you can see how rotund we have become. We have a real love experience with food. Now that's not my message. My message is that when God grips the mind and the heart with the message that calls to repentance, then people forget about that which is even most important to them while they get on their faces before God, and would God, America, would do that today. They put on sackcloth. You talk about a spectacle. I mean, it was thick, coarse cloth. It was dark in color. It was typically made out of goat's hair or camel's hair. And that's what they put on, not their normal kind of clothing. The leader also of Nineveh. Now look, listen, 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 listen. This is important. The most powerful man in the world is the king of Nineveh. He hears the message. He humbles himself, verse 6 tells us. And he repents. He removes his beautiful robe. He covers himself with sackcloth. And he sits down in ashes. He finds a pile of ashes and sits there and tosses it up in the air so that it comes down over his head. That's not a very dignified way for a king to lead his people. But he did. I'm 66 years old. I know I don't look that. Teenagers thought I was only about 21 or 22, but... In that 66 years, I've known of a lot of presidents of the United States of America. I've known of a lot of prime ministers in Canada, the country that I'm from. And not once, not once have I ever seen a president or a prime minister sitting in ashes. I'll do you more than that. Not once have I ever known of a president 
or a prime minister fasting. I'll do you better than that. Not once have I ever heard a president of the United States or a prime minister of Canada admit that he, she, since there was a she in Canada, were wrong and ask the people to follow back to God. Is it any wonder we are in such a devastating place in this day and age where our two countries are running as fast as they can away from God? I get the impression, though, that in Nineveh, it was a groundswell from within the people that ultimately got the attention of this most powerful man in the world and finally brought him down. Listen, folks, if we will take God's second chance, if we will before God repent of our sin, if we will turn to God, maybe we will also see the leaders of our country lead us in that direction as well. The leader says, maybe, just maybe, if we repent before this fierce God, he will turn from his fierce anger. He will, the hotness from his nostrils, which is the idea that's in that little expression in Hebrew, will be subsided and we will be able to get through. So I want you to notice a third thing in verse 10. Your obedience impacts what God will ultimately do. Let me say that again. Your obedience impacts what God will ultimately do. Now, I know that there are some of you in this room who are going to take both sides of what just popped into some of your heads. Hmm. I have to obey him to impact him. If he's a loving God, that shouldn't have to happen. That's what some are saying. Not all of you. The, the majority of, of you, I think, are probably in the middle of, the, of this. On the other side, there are some of you who are going to say, because God is sovereign, and by the way, he is, nothing you can do is going to impact what he's going to do. Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm going to tell you that I believe more strongly in the sovereignty of God probably than any person in this room. You don't want to push that button because if I get going, we'll be here for about four hours and we don't really want that to happen. But what I'm going to say to you is in the text, what he says is this. If they would obey, God would relent. Now, those are human terms for us to understand how God is going to do what he's going to do because God knows everything. And God knew that when Jonah would preach this sermon that these people would listen and would repent. Jonah didn't know that for sure until he started. But what happens is, if you'll look again in verse 10... When God saw what they did, that is that they repented, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of this disaster that he had said he would do to them and did not do it. Some of us are sitting back and saying, see, God's a wussy. 
You say, you didn't really say that. Yes, I said that. Because that's exactly what some people think. But God's no wussy. God will bring the exact judgment he has promised is going to come upon those who are unrepentant. But the other side of the promise, which is equally a message of judgment, becomes a message of hope where he says, but if you will repent, I will stay my hand. Yeah, you've had a messed up life. You've tried to run away from God. But God has called you back. And he's given you the opportunity of declaring the good news. And the reality is, there is hope. Hmm. In a few moments, we will conclude the service. And when we do, I'm going to talk very specifically to you about some things that I want you to consider doing. So here's the first question that I will ask you. What are you going to do with your second chance? See, it's a time for those who are not yet God's children You've not repented of your sin and by faith trusted Jesus Christ for salvation. It's time for you to trust him. To come to him. And admit your sinfulness. And accept the gift of eternal life. Many of you are saying, that's what church is really all about. But I've got to say, there are those of us who are in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ. We're AWOL. We're AWOL. We're looking for the ship. We may be on the ship. We may even be in the storm. If I can just hang on for a few more days, maybe we'll be through the storm. No, you won't. You're going to the bottom of the sea. Get up from where you are. Come back to God. Repent of that waywardness and receive the second chance that he is giving to you. In a moment, I'm going to pray with you and after we've done that, we'll be dismissing the service. But if you're here this morning and you need Jesus as your Savior, in a minute, I'll be standing down here. As others are leaving here quietly, you can come and say to me, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. Either I will lead you to Jesus or I will have someone else lead you to Jesus. But across this audience this morning, there are people, bless God, there are people who are following God with an intensity and a love for Him, and that's to be commended. But there are some who are here at your AWOL. And God is speaking to you. God is tugging at your heart. God is pricking your conscience. And he is saying to you, you know what he's talking about, that's what you need to do. In a few moments when I'm down here, I'd like you to make your way to me and say, I need to begin my second chance. Now I'm going to ask you to be a little bit more specific than that. 
But we will pray about it. We will help you get the thing straightened away so that you can have that second chance. Now, I'm not sure where the leaders of our church are. If you are on the pastoral staff, and they're, I think, in some other parts of the building, but guys out there in the hall, if you can chase them and find them and bring them back here, I'd appreciate it. If you are a deacon here at the church, or a deaconess here at the church, I'd like you to kind of hang around so that you can help me with the praying if that becomes necessary. Now listen to me. The reason I'm asking for that is this. Well, you know, we won't worry about it. We'll wait and see whether anybody goes to talk to Don. What we don't look for doesn't come. What we don't expect doesn't happen. So I'm asking for us to provide people who can actually do the praying in the event that there are any number of people who choose to come. What happened when, uh, when Jonah preached to Nineveh? How many people responded? A handful? A whole lot. And he didn't have any other trained workers who could help him. Friend, you need to listen to what God is saying. Let's pray together, shall we? God, across this audience this morning, there are men, there are women, there are young people that you are speaking to in their hearts and in their minds. Some of them who are here don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. Oh God, would you work in their lives in such a way that the conviction will be strong enough that they will come, repent of their sin, and by faith receive Jesus as their Savior. Over 150 years of preaching in this church, God, has resulted in many men, many women, many young people, many children coming to know Jesus. But it's our turn now. So I pray for that. But I also know that in our congregation... There are people who've messed up their lives. They've tried running away from God. They don't even think that it's possible to come back and have the record set clean. They think that what they've done has been so bad that God won't love them and God won't forgive them. But I thank you for your unconditional love. And I pray that in these moments that there will be some men, women, young people, even boys and girls, who will say, I'm coming to God. I want that second chance. Thank you for what you are going to do, what you've already done. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment when I dismiss you, if God is speaking to you, please come and talk with me. Listen to me. Next weekend is the last weekend, Lord willing, that I will be in Jonah. Some of you are saying, boy, that was a long book. Not really. It's gone by rather quickly. I think you're going to, well, you'll like the title. uh, But I think you're also going to find the sermon next weekend very helpful. The title's called Pitching a Fit. I've had experience with people who pitch fits. I had three little children. 
I have four grandchildren, and I've pastored for nearly 45 years. You got to come next week. Bring your friends with you. Let's fill this place right up. That would be cool and see what God will do. Following that, Lord willing, I'm going to preach a two, uh, two-part series. The first one's called The Power of Vision, and the second one's called The Power of Passion. Those are going to be really significant sermons in our lives. And then we're into Christmas, and Chris has helped plan a wonderful Christmas series, and I've prepared the sermons, and so I'm all ready to preach them. I'm excited about preaching them already. You know, you get them prepared, and then you have to wait a long time before you get to preach them. That's no fun. You want to preach them right away. So sometimes I just preach to the air, because they got to get preached. they got to get preached. Uh, but those are things that are upcoming. God bless you. Thank you for your attention. Go out and stand firm for God this week, and you have a great week.